Welcome to the WP Tonic Podcast, brought to you by WPTonic.com, a WordPress maintenance and support service for business owners. We talk to the leaders in WordPress, business, and online marketing communities, bringing you insights on how to grow your business and achieve success. Welcome back, folks, to the WP Tonic Show. It's episode 443. We've got a small panel, but a powerful panel. Almost all the rest of the panel are at WordCamp USA, um, swanning around, enjoying themselves. But I've got a small but powerful team of old-timers that decided that the show must go on. Uh, um, I'm going to let them introduce themselves. Sally, would you like to introduce yourself to the listeners and viewers? Certainly. I am Sally Getch, rhymes with Sketch, the WP fangirl organizer of the East Bay WordPress meetup in Oakland, California. Um, And, uh, you know, a minion to two felines. Exactly. And I've got my friend John Locke. John, would you like to introduce yourself to this and some views? John Locke, uh, SEO practitioner for manufacturing firms at Lockdown Design and SEO. Right. And before we go into the main content of the show, I'd like to talk about one of our great sponsors. And that is, oh, I've just had a brain. <laughs> is that Breezy? Or breezy, is it- <laughs> Breezy. So thank you so much. Um, I'm sorry it's been a busy week. It's been a hell of a week for me. Uh, um, it's Breezy, Breezy.co. And what Breezy is, it's a page builder. And I, I think it's one of the more interesting and has some really unique features that will be of interest to you, the developer stroke designer, and if you're a power user as well. So go over to breezy.com, have a look at what they've got, buy one of their packages, and I don't think you're going to be disappointed. Like I say, they're pushing ahead. They've got a pretty large team um, developing Breezy all the time. They're a serious player in this area, there's, they should be considered. So go over to Breezy and have a look what they're offering. And thank you so much, Sally. I had one of those old age brain parts. Yes. Uh, um, well, obviously, story one is WordCamp US 2019. Sally, um, was there, you know, will you be watching it from afar? And secondly, are any of the talks and that? Took, took your eye and you thought that was really interesting. Well, I would, you know, I would have loved to be there for the, um, you know, the community day where they've got a lot of stuff aimed at uh, meetup organizers. And, it, you know, there's a, there's a lot of good stuff happening. I mean, you know, as, as often, uh, you know, I wish I could go. It, it just was not <clears throat> possible this year. Um, I've been on too many planes already and, uh, you know, don't ha- have anybody to uh, to sponsor the inv- expense involved in that yeah where where is it going to be next year you know i think next it? year is st louis again i think this was the f- oh. this is the first year in st louis uh so it's you know it's a not impossible uh, distance it, it's sort of like well per- perhaps next year you know it uh, that's how it, it it keeps coming up in my mind i mean it would be nice if it came out uh toward the west but you know venues tend to be prohibitively expensive uh, around here and you know and probably nobody wants to come to california right this minute for fear of burning up so yeah so is there any of the speakers or any of the other things do, do you notice any of them you be watching any of the stuff 
I don't know if I'll be watching um, because, you know, I have a lot of work I need to do and I have to be out tomorrow. I will I will certainly watch the state of the word, but I may not watch yeah. it live. Depends yeah. on when I get back tomorrow. Um, but they've got a lot of, you know, great stuff about, you know, all of the uh, current kinds of, of things. Uh, and... Uh, a lot of people I know are speaking and a lot of people I know are going to be there. I mean, you know, certainly, um, although it's a bit late to say so now, uh, you know, would encourage anybody who can get to WordCamp US to go to WordCamp US. Right. John, anything? Well, it was quite, it was a difficult WordCamp last year, wasn't it? There was a certain tone to it. I think this year's going to be a bit better. Well, I think people went in with a lot of of tension and a lot of emotion about the the introduction of Gutenberg, and I don't think there's that kind of, um, you know, I don't think anybody is, is stressed in that same way uh, this year. So it it should be a little uh, a little less tense. Yeah. What do you reckon, John? All right. Um, yeah, I'm obviously I'm not traveling. I've been to St. Louis before. It's it's a nice town. I like it. Good city. Um, uh, I'm not going to be watching it because like Sally, like you, um, I have some stuff to catch up on. I'm a little busy here, um, which is fine. We're workers. Um, we're workers, aren't we? We're grinding it out, man. That's what I'm saying. We're down in the trenches. Um, there's a couple of sessions that I, I think that, that if I was there that I would probably be watching. Uh, one is creating a welcoming and diverse space. Oh yeah, uh, with, I went to the I went to the preview of that. Um, it's yeah. really good. It's worthwhile. Yeah, that's Ali Nimmons. Uh, I'm gonna say this name wrong. I'm sure Ar- Aruba Ahmed, uh, Jill Binder, and David Wolfpaw. David Wolfpaw uh, was is is a past guest of the Tonic uh, from like a long time ago. Um, nice guy. Uh, the other one, it was. Uh, Corey Ashton is doing one, uh, a mama lesbian and an entrepreneur walk into a word camp. I think I would like to see that too, because um, uh, Corey is going through uh, uh, treatment for cervical cancer, which oh. is no bueno. No. But I, I, you know what? She is um, resiliently uh, positive. Oh, uh, it, but uh, yeah, aside from that, yeah. John's got a furry friend in the background. Uh, yes, you're about to be upstaged. Oh, he wants to join us. Uh, she, she wants to join us. Yeah, well. it's a she. It's a she. That, that was her comment. So what does she think about WordCamp USA then, John? Oh, Hazel? Uh, Hazel, um, she has no opinions on it. Um, All right. Yeah. yeah. All right, there we go. Very understandable. All right. <laughs> On to the next story. And um, Flash is responsible for the internet most creative era. And before, uh, it kind of really connected to me because um, I got into the internet by being a mature student um, of multimedia and graphic design at um, the London School of Print and Design, which is no longer, it merged with, I think, Upminster University, but it was old trade school. And I got into it, and I did my degree there, and I did my uh, master's there. And um, I was really, uh, my first gigs, my first jobs were Flash, and I, for my post-degree, I did a couple of large projects in Flash, and I was totally absorbed by it. And I was heavily influenced by the Japanese 
designers, some of the leading flash designers were based in Japan. And their work was just amazing. And I agree with the article. I thought Flash, it was heated in a way, but also I thought some of the work that was done in Flash was some of the most creative I've ever seen. And I think the internet in general, in some ways, when it comes to design, has got a bit boring. What do you reckon, John? You know, when I saw this article, I um, I, I really responded uh, to it because... I think not only Flash, but like a lot of elements of the web were, um, I don't know. It seems to, web design now, I mean, there still are some really innovative sites, but I'd say like 90% of sites are really cookie cutter uh, at this point. It's really kind of sad. I think back to when I was just a uh, consumer, not a web developer or anything like that, but uh, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, the um, seeing sites like heavy.com, uh, they would use flash animation uh, to tell stories. I thought there was a lot of innovative stuff going on. There used to be like a lot of um, games and stuff that were, you know, flash based. I thought those were really cool at the time. Um, you know, I think the, the tools have evolved and, and there's different things that we can do now with JavaScript and CSS. CSS has really evolved. Um, so I, I think there is still creativity. I think we, you know, got to keep pushing ourselves uh, to, you know, be creative and not just uh, be cookie cutter. Yeah. What do you reckon, Sally? Well, I mean, I got into the web before Flash existed. Uh, and it, when I went back and, you know, listened to resilient design about the evolution of the internet and so on. I mean, you know, Flash was extremely creative. There were a lot of interesting things done. And, but the problem is it was always kind of antithetical to what the web was supposed yeah. to be. Um, and so, you know, it's good that now there are ways to do some similarly creative things that are, you know, more accessible and, and uh, you know, responsive and, and so on and so forth. And, you know, and a lot of Flash was just annoying. You know, oh, our restaurant has to have this um, splash page that is completely meaningless and takes forever to load. And so, uh, you know, it's a, it, it's a mixed situation like you know like everything else and you know a lot of early web design was kind of a a matter of attempting to make the web fit other models that we already had to make the web look more like print and this is how we ended up with the you know all the table layouts and frames and this and 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 that and that was not actually ever what things were meant to be, but because mm. that was the experience that people had, uh, and you know, it's it's still the experience people have to it to a great degree, and they get frustrated by the fact that it it doesn't work the same way. Um, and yeah, I think we have a lot of websites now that are visually very similar, and you know, people have put less creativity into them than they should, and at the same time, we also have more experience of what is usable for people and what is going to accomplish the, the goals you have put the website uh, up there for. And 
you know, you don't necessarily want to go into a grocery store and be astounded by its creative layout. You want it because you want to like be able to find things and get through the store. Um, and, <clears throat> you know, and if you have an experience like Ikea, where they force you to go through the entire store in order to get out of there, uh, it, it's mostly just really irritating. Uh, so I think that you need to apply your creativity where it's appropriate and where it's not going to hamper, uh, you know, accomplishing your your mission or, or people doing what they what they went there to do. Yeah, I think they were all good points. You know, excellent points, Sally. Um, it's just that I also agree with John. Is the consequences is, is a lot of sites do look very cutty cooker. You know, um, right? Well, we also have a lot of businesses online now that weren't on the web before. It's true. pretty much in the early days. If you were on the web, you were much more likely to be somebody at the cutting edge of something where more creativity was appropriate. True. Right. Let's go on to the next story. This is an interesting one. We analyzed 5.2 million desktop and mobile pages. Here's what we learned about page speed, and it's from. Batlingo, he's a very well-known SEO um, individual in the SEO world. And really, just to give you some quick background, listeners and viewers, he came heavy on, in his article, he got really quite heavy on WordPress around speed, saying it basically it was a bit of a dog, basically, um, compared to some hosted solutions. What did you reckon about this article, um, Sally? Well, it's, um, and I'm sure John will have better insight on this, but in a way, it's, it's, it is also kind of like, um, this is news. I, I mean, you know, there's been such a, such a move in the WordPress community for years to deal with the fact that any kind of dynamic solution where you've got a lot of communicating back and forth with a database is going to be slower than a static solution. Uh, and this is why, you know, there's all the caching and the, you know, the hosting companies that do server-side caching and the Gatsby solutions and, and that kind of thing. Uh, plus, uh, you know, WordPress being widely used for things is also, you know, used by a lot of people who know nothing about trying to optimize their website. And um, so I think it's, you know, it's interesting that they go into so much depth, but, you know, I, I found the article in the um, uh, newsletter, you know, along with a, a commentary about how it seemed like some of what they looked at, at or some of the way they broke down what they looked at didn't make a lot of sense from a, a CMS perspective, uh, but that uh, you know, it's like, yeah, well, if you've worked with WordPress, you know WordPress can be slow and can be a resource hog and, and you know, which doesn't mean that you shouldn't use it, just that you have to be aware of that as a, as a possible mm -hmm. downside. And also, I think, you know, probably more of the people who are on Wix are building like, you know, your five-page um, brochure site uh, and... and you know, there's just not a lot happening there. There wouldn't be a lot happening there if it was a WordPress site. Yeah, I think, you know, like I said previously with the previous story, I think they're great points. Before I throw it over to John, I just think the key factor is, you know, using decent hosting, you know, fundamentally. Um, I think a lot of sites, a lot of people, they just go for the cheapest solution 
Um, I'm not going to name them, um, but there's a number of hosting. But, but the, ho the hosting company is not sponsoring WP Tonic. Well, they're the ones that I think provide really quality hosting, our beloved Kinster, you know. But there's a there's a bit of a price hump from you know something like Kinster to what a lot of um, hosting providers say that they say it's wonderful hosting for three dollars a month. Um, yeah, it isn't wonderful hosting at $3 a month. It's pretty crappy hosting. Uh, um, what do you reckon, um, John? Yeah, um, there are some interesting things in here. Um, I'll, I'll add this to you for people who don't know. Brian Dean, mm. uh, Backlinko, a lot of people reference his material uh, for SEO and, and stuff like that. But he was, how he came to prominence was as Neil Patel's first disciple. That's why um, if you look at old versions of Neil Patel's site, it resembles the exact um, layout that Brian Dean still kind of uses now. Uh, Neil, Neil Patel's uh, site is a little bit different, but um, they are interconnected. That is how this And we have had some comments. discussions about Mr. Patel before. Right. Okay. So that in mind, um, a good article, as Jonathan uh, pointed out, WordPress scores down at the bottom uh, because I believe that the majority of sites that are hosted on WordPress are on things uh, that, are, that are lower end hosts mm -hmm. and they're not on you know, uh, something like Kinsta or, you know, Pagely or whatever. Uh, they're on low-end hosts that cost like, you know, $3 or $5 a month. And what happens is, is you're sharing server resources with as many other sites as they can cram into that server so they can make money. So there might be like 100,000 other sites on that same uh, server instance. So they're noticeably slower. Okay. So some of the things that he says here, talking about speed and, you know, this and that, the very first thing he talks about is time to first byte. The average time to first byte, you know, that is uh, how long it takes the site. Like if, if you type in <coughs> WPTonic.com or WPFangirl.com or whatever, uh, whatever it is, time to first byte is how long it takes the browser to uh, start downloading assets from the server to create the web page. And what they found is the average time to first byte is 1.28 seconds, which is unbelievably slow um, compared to uh, the types of sites that, that us on the panel are, are building. Um, and that's a lot of it is down to uh, who you're hosting with. So like, I mean, a good time to first byte, I would say is like under 300 milliseconds. But for SEO purposes, you really um, have to beat your, uh, the, the next person that's a competitor in your field. You don't have to be the, you know, ridiculously fast. You don't have to have like 50 milliseconds, but you do have to beat your competition. Time to first bite is uh, what most people feel is a correlation uh, between that part of the page speed, uh, when, when people talk about page speed affecting SEO, they feel that, that time to first byte is uh, the most important part. I would say that um, when you've improved everything else on a client site and then you move them to better hosting, I can say that they do get a bump 
um, from that. Speed itself is not going to be uh, a substitute for, um, you know, content or design or links or anything like that. But uh, the other thing that I would say is really important is time to first paint or time to first meaningful paint, which is when people start seeing stuff appear on their screen. The perception of speed is, is uh, very, very important. You want to have uh, that part be fast. So that is more involved with um, how the site is built. And I'm not sure, you know, everything about like Squarespace or anything like that, or some of these that, that were at the top, but uh, Word, WordPress does have, uh, it's kind of in the middle as, as far as um, how many files it typically takes to put together a page. And there's lots of things you can do to speed up. And I found, yeah. I found, I don't know if you found this, Stanley and John, is that if you're, if you're dealing with something that's been knocked up with, you know, certain kind of themes that you can still get from yes, theme forest. Let's and load then, 50 extra scripts on this page and every other page too. Yeah, and it and it's on really poor hosting, which will rename, you know, related to my ex-father, or some other hosting providers. Um that rule name, you know, might be linked to Blue Wells and, um, you know, uh, um, uh, um, but if you go with that, that combination of some enormous bloated and then you put a page builder on top and then you add like 50 to 80 plugins and it's really quite easy to get there. You know, it, we've all done it. I've done. There's a lot. There's a quite a few plugins on the WP Tonic website. Uh, yeah, most of the sites I build have quite a few plugins. I mean, it's you either just, their code or that, mine. And that's excluding code is code. Build, yeah, that's excluding if it's a WooCommerce site. Uh, um, um, it's really quite easy to end up with a pooling concoction of. Of stuff, isn't it, Sally? It's really quite easy to end up with a real dog's breath of a website, isn't it? Yes, and it is. You know, I mean, the issue is not the number of of plugins, but the quality of the plugins and you True, know, but how how well they're built. But yes, because for people, you know, WordPress is marketed to people who don't have a lot of experience, and they will sort of grab the first thing they see or the thing that was bundled into their theme um, or the, uh, you know, or the thing that's popular partly because it's free and then, you know, they'll add something else and it doesn't play well together. And yeah, all of a sudden you've got issues up the wazoo. Uh, last, last site I personally onboarded onto our, one of our maintenance plans they had over 20 inactive plugins. <laughs> That's the, but just, out, just sitting around waiting for a vulnerability. I said, yeah, we did. You know, they had about 15 themes installed. So, you know, put it on a test rig and then start, you know, and also they still load a little bit, don't they? They still taking some resources up, aren't they? They've got to go, aren't they? Yeah. So start stripping away. <laughs> Stop. Yes, that 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 getting rid of clutter stuff and making sure. I mean, it's it's sometimes I'm working on stuff and I test a bunch of different things and then I have to remember to like uninstall all the ones that I didn't use and clean up the database and that kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, you you will get things where 
you know, it's like this is sitting okay. So that plugin hasn't been updated for you know five years, and nobody you know was running a, a check on stuff to make sure. And it's like, well, it wasn't obviously broken. Yeah, and there was, and I've, you know, I kind of on the cheaper end, I kind of rep- recommend SiteGround. But they've done something really that their new login um, interface for a lot of which they've introduced to a lot of their WordPress website. Yes, I, I haven't used it yet, but their replacement for cPanel, because I guess cPanel's pricing oh, is skyrocketed. Dog, it's, pretty, it's pretty doggy, and the login page is unsecure. How so, odd. And it's storing memory. Um, I think Mary Ann from um, I forgot the name of her podcast. She does a great, she does a great weekly roundup of um, different things going on in WordPress. You know, and uh, I do watch her her Facebook and, and listen to her podcast. And um, I did ask her on the show, but I haven't got a response. But as she pointed this out, it was a terrible freaking idea. <laughs> and um, so they're okay site ground um, if you really, really are on a tight budget. And But they they just do a special deal for the first year, but then it goes up quite considerably. And I, I think you're not going to get anything that fantastic below $20, actually. I'm sorry, per month. Um and you can get it a bit cheaper if you go, you pay yearly, which they all mostly want you to do. But the idea that you're going to get anything below $10 that's any worth really is pretty, you're deluding yourself, I think. But, well, right. And and it does kind of come down to, you know, do you have a business or a hobby? You know, maybe you're, yeah. you don't want to spend more than a few bucks a month on your hobby. Yeah. Uh, if you have a business that can't cover 20 bucks a month in, in hosting, I'm not sure you have a business. If you no. spend more on coffee in a week than you do on hosting in a month, there's a problem. I think that's well put. And it just will, you know, this concoction we've just discussed will lead to a real dog of a website. It just, it's just seen it. So, so, so many times. Well, we're going to go for a break. Got some more stories in the second half. We'll be back in a few moments, folks. Do you want to spend more time making money online? Then use WP Tonic as your trusted WordPress developer partner. They will keep your WordPress website secure and up to date so you can concentrate on the things that make you money. Examples of WP Tonic's client services are landing pages, page layouts, widgets, updates, and modifications. WP Tonic is well-known and trusted in the WordPress community. They stand behind their work with full, no-question-asked, 30-day money-back guarantee. So don't delay. Sign up with WP Tonic today. That's wp-tonic.com. Just like the podcast. We're coming back. I recovered from the spooks and the, and the witches and the wizards last night. Yes, well, you're for, you're fortunate that I decided to put my face on instead of eating breakfast because you know I, I was looking like a Halloween leftover. I'm not going there, and also, <laughs> uh, um, also, I'm looking forward to the real celebration, the fifth of December, Viva Vendetta. Uh, <laughs> um, right, good old guy, folks. You want to look him up? 
listeners and viewers, he, um, he came to a sticky end and we celebrate it in England, we used to. Uh, yes, well, although most of my friends when I lived in England said now if he'd succeeded at blowing up Parliament, that would be something to celebrate. <laughs> Ooh, I don't agree with that. I'm a supporter of Parliament. There we go. Uh, well, I'm, I'm a supporter of it uh, of its existence, uh, not, not necessarily of all of its decisions, but then that's true in... Uh, uh, there we go. All right, on to the next story. Um, and, it, you know, we're coming, you know, we've had Black Thursday, whatever it's called, and we've got Cyber Friday, whatever it's called. But uh, this is a time of year where there's a lot of discounts offered for WordPress plugins and all sorts of services. So I thought I'd put this article in, and it's basically SEM Rush versus AREC which is the best SEO and marketing tool going into 2020. And I also would include a tool that both me and John uses called KW Finder. I think the two and KW Finder are the three main tools I would recommend people. And you might SEM Rush it doesn't normally offer many discounts, but I think this time of year might be the one time where you might get a substantial discount. So what do you reckon, John? What do you reckon if you were looking this time of year to buy, would you agree with me, the three I've just mentioned are the three main players? I mean, yeah, definitely. Like, uh, I, I can tell you what my stack is. Now, uh, a couple of years ago, I did use SEM Rush. Uh, but I became an Ahrefs uh, convert. I think this article comes to the conclusion it's either like, uh, I think they gave the slight edge to SEM Rush, and I'm not sure that I agree with that. Um, they they seem to have done a fairly decent job going through sort of feature, by, feature by feature saying, you know, this one is a little better here, this one is a little better there. That's still going to be partly a matter of opinion and your own experience. And taste, isn't it? But it, but it did at least, you know, kind of break it down in what they think each one is better for, which oh, is useful true. because yeah. that that the generic question, which is better, is pretty useless. Like, well, better for what? Yeah. Um, well, I, I can tell. You go on. Sorry, John. Go on. Oh, it's fine. I can tell you that um, as far as just the interface, I mean, I I like HRFs better. Um, their link um, database. Their, their crawler is the most robust outside of uh, Google. And Majestic would be a close second. Like Moz is actually the worst um, as, as far as uh, detecting. Which is interesting because Moz just yeah. like started charging money for a bunch of things that, you, that used to be free. Yeah. But like Moz Local too, like people don't know this. Moz Local, they're no longer using their own software. They're outsourcing that to another company now. Oh, I didn't know Uber. that. I didn't know yeah, that. All the Uber, all that's why it's totally different now. Um, but that's just completely white labeled. Um, SEM Rush. Here's the, the, one of the things that I uh, have a, a pet peeve about with SEM Rush. They, um, a lot of people use this tool, and uh, a lot of people are like, "Oh, I, you know, SEM Rush is saying all these links are toxic." I should disavow these like right away. And this is seriously, you go in forums and like every week people are saying this, asking these questions, but people ask me these you know, questions personally. Um, don't use the disavow tool 
uh, willy-nilly because it's not going to do anything and it doesn't do anything. Um, a lot of people, you know, believe that it does, but it does not. I'm telling you this. Um, all it does is it basically marks your site as uh, a site that's broken the rules. So only disavow if it's the nuclear <laughs> option. I'm telling you, I'm not kidding when I say this. No, no, I'm just laughing. That, that's a great thing to do, isn't it? The market well, up you know, people don't get it. Google is not your friend. I mean, they can't figure out everything on their own. So they're expecting you to do it. And in fact, uh, in this new version of Search Console, they're taking away the disavow tool uh, because as uh, Google representatives, John Mueller and Danny Sullivan have said, more people have shot themselves in the foot by using it and hurt their sites by disavowing uh, links that they think are spammy or toxic um, that are just natural links. I mean, the fact of it is, is you're not going to stop scraper sites or things like that. So if you're disavowing stuff like that, that's all you're going to be doing like all day long, every day. Mm. And all you really need to do is build some actually strong links and those spammy links will just bounce off like they're nothing. Um, the only time they hurt you is when that's the only types of links you have. Now, when it comes to um, some of the things I like Ahrefs for is you can compare uh, competitor sites head to head. I mean, as far as like the keyword research and keyword difficulty, I always double source, which is why I use uh, KW Finder uh, to look at um, a keyword difficulty on top of that because they actually pull in stuff. They pull in information from Moz and from Majestic, um, but they also have our proprietary scores uh, uh, for each site or each page, like a link profile strength that's their own proprietary thing. But I like KW Finder too. Um, it's got a nice, for somebody on my level, yeah. I find these other two products, they're great for you because you're doing this yeah. every day, every week. But I, I'm just a. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not saying SEM Rush is bad. That would be my second choice, but yeah. I mean it's not. I my like first choice. I like KV because uh, the interface and um, yeah, it's a great. But when, when, what about price? What do you do? You think I'm right this time of year? Is the for most of these products is the only time normally that sometimes you can get a special deal, isn't it? Yeah, I mean sometimes like I mean there's always like deals. I mean, but if you're like a if you're a professional SEO, I mean, you're going to end up paying, yeah. you know, something like, you know, for most people who are starting off and I know a lot of people are trying to add SEO uh, as a service, like in the, in the WordPress community, a lot of people are trying to add this as another service that they're doing. Um, I think SEM rush, you get like 10 projects or whatever. It's like one ninety nine and uh uh, I know like Ahrefs, it's like 10 projects and it's like 179. And then the next bump up on Ahrefs is it's like 399 a month for 25 projects. And then SCM Rush is 399 for, doesn't say how many projects. Um, but basically they're, they're, the pricing is almost exactly the same is, is what I'm saying. Um, you know, you're going to be paying that much. You need at least one multi-purpose tool it tracks links, tracks uh, competitors' rankings, um, can tell you content gap, maybe does a little bit of um, 
uh, keyword analysis as far as like how heavy is this competition. I think a lot of people in WordPress are gravitating toward SEM rush because I think keyword research, um, the interface for that is, is a little bit more friendly. It has like this mind map type thing where you type in a keyword and then it does this like kind of, uh, the flower. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a total sucker for mind maps. Yeah. So I think a lot of people gravitate. Semantic that. clouds. Yeah. And that kind yeah, of semantic cloud. yeah. I mean, a lot of people gravitate toward that, which is fine. I mean, I, you know, for me, for, for the writing I do for myself or the writing that I do for clients, um, I've never had to dive that deep because, you know, I see uh, a lot of the questions that come in for my own clients and I know what the questions I get for myself. So I'm never at a loss for like, what to you know what content to make so but i could you know i i understand why um if people who gravitate where yeah the araf is more utilitarian in look isn't it where the um yeah. the sme rush is a little bit more flowery and pleasant the araf is utilitarian but it, they're both extremely powerful and i would go with araf like what you suggest yeah. with um kv um I think KV Finder with ARAF is a is really a powerful combination, isn't it, John? Yeah, that's my stack. So yeah, so I'm in agreement. We're all in agreement. Well, let's go on to the story. I just thought that was an interesting one for this time of year. Um, so on to number five: the future of freelancing with WordPress. What did you reckon about this one, Sally? Um, I was a little underwhelmed. Uh, Also, uh, it it is kind of interesting. I mean, it's like, yes, there are some things that people are concerned about, but what he seems to be mostly talking about is not people who are freelancers, you know, like I am and build sites for others or, or offer services, but people who create products. And that, you know, if you make a WordPress product, a, a plugin or a, a, you know, a SaaS product or something that does something and it has to compete with sort of the official pushed through Jetpack, whatever version of it, um, then that's going to be really hard for you. And that's absolutely true. I just don't think making products is freelancing. No. Well, it is kind of, but not the way they kind of... Yeah, I, I agree with everything you've just said. I think that's one of the key problems with this article. What do you reckon, John? Yeah, um, what I got out of this is basically just saying, like, you know, where is WordPress going? Uh, what If you're a freelancer, what should you do? I mean, I you know, like I said, like me and you, we're working on a project right now that's uh, a Gutenberg. I mean, it's not terrible. Um, but everything evolves. I mean, WordPress itself is evolved. Uh, when it first started, it was basically just a blog. Um, and it still kind of has a lot of those roots still. A lot of stuff's been bolted onto it, you know, uh, whether it's a REST API or uh, Gutenberg or custom post types or everything else that's been bolted onto this. I'll give but, you, I just want to butt in slightly, John. Um, yeah. As I was reading this article quickly, um, one of the guests, um, the past about uh, time flies, it must have been about four or five months <laughs> ago, um, I had Dave Froy on the show and he's he does um, he does a um, membership site around 
training designer power users to use Elevator, right? Mm-hmm. And it's called No Stress WordPress. And he was doing, he's a really lovely guy. He comes from North of England. He's got a really no, kind of Northy accent. And he just comes across really well. He was ex-teacher before he became a developer. And he just got a good way of explaining things. And I've been diving deep into Elevator. So I was thinking maybe joining his course. And he was doing a free webinar. And... He normally uses um, Zoom, but um, he'd gone with a, a new company. I've got the name of the webinar um, product, but he was using this. And he got over 3,000 people sign up for this, for this intro course, right? And he took down the whole webinar system. It crashed midway and he responded he had a virtual assistant helping him and they really responded they they worked out they probably needed a backup just in case you probably learned this from arrows in his back um and they they converted back to zoom and zoom might not have the greatest interface but you know touch wood um hopefully uh, i'm not risking this particular episode to go down in the next few seconds um, one thing about zoom is most of the time it's pretty rock solid isn't it but i can't what, remember we've ever had it crash or anything not really like not, you know um hopefully next week we don't have problems um but what i'm saying is he had over three thousand people join him and this isn't you know dave's a great guy and he's built up a great business but he's not a household name is he in personal development but i've never had and i know he's totally truthful so when he said we've had over three thousand people sign for this webinar i'm pretty confident that he did have three thousand people sign up for it right and um he's not like certain individuals which kind of uh, massage the truth but it just shows me if you're in the right area that there's an enormous demand around edu- anything around WordPress if you're in the right sector. What well, look at look at our friend uh, Adam uh, Priester, um, yeah, exactly uh, WP WP Crafter. This guy is blown up. I mean, completely. I think he is uh, of of anybody in the WordPress ecosystem. I think the only uh, channel that has more followers and views than him right now is WP Beginner, and he's going to overtake them within the year. Yeah, because he knocks um, out really good stuff. And yeah, you know, but it's, really it's like, all really the same like, type of thing, like elementary and stuff. Yeah, I really like Adam. He can be a bit prickly um, when he wants to be, but he, you know, he produces great stuff. And what, he has, like and, the rest and, of us. <laughs> sorry. I said, unlike the rest of us. Yeah, well, no, exactly. what I mean is, you know, he's in the video. No, I didn't really mean that, Sally. He's in the video area, and it does take, you know, to get a perfect, you know, I just do a little bit of editing, and I knock these shows out. He's spending him and his editor, and I think he still edits the shows himself. He, he does a full edit, and that takes a lot of work. But the other thing is, he, he's very dynamic, and he uh, produces, it's entertaining, the actual shows and and he knows his stuff and it's and he does his research and we all know doing all that research and really p- 
pre-show preparation is a hell of a load of work if you're going to do it. Properly. It is a shed load of of, of it work. It is a hell. I mean, and if, if you want to if you want to do that that well, you you have to work at it. It's not going to be a, a no. just. You and know. he's very consistent. Um, I'm sounding like a fanboy for him, but the only reason why I'm bringing this up is also I think he has faced a lot of envy and jealousy in some elements of the WordPress community based on his success. But that 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 you always get that in any field. Um, but what I'm saying is like what John, why I think John pointed out about Adam is that you know people get a bit gloomy about certain sections. I think I think if you were I think there will always be a place for custom design for people that want a bespoke solution. And uh, I think the market for that has probably diminished over the past couple of years a bit. Um, I think, you know, Wix and um, Squarespace has, has taken, um, I think where, the, where it has hurt a bit is a lot of um, local agencies that might have hired a freelance developer to do a kind of semi-custom theme or do a hatchet job on a pre-bought theme to, to customise it so they could give it to the customer. They are probably going to Squarespace and getting their designer to knock something up on Squarespace rather than hiring a freelance developer. What do you reckon, John? Um, you know, the, the agencies I know, like personally, still, um, a lot of them are, um, it's kind of a mix. Like when I first broke in, like, you know, five or six years ago, most, most of the agency, I would say like half the agencies were just knocking up um, uh, theme forest themes. And some of them were doing bespoke, um, but with Beaver Builder and now Elementor, Elementor is getting really, really popular. Big. Uh, big, but I think there are some agencies that just knock up Divi. Um, but I think a lot of agencies are are doing Elementor or Beaver Builder. Um, at this point, you know, some are still using like Visual Destroyer uh, <laughs> types of sites from Theme Forest. Some are doing bespoke. I'll, I'll point this out too. You know, there's I think that there is going to still always be a place uh, for custom design. Um, this was uh, something that I saw online in a Facebook group just uh, the other day. It was somebody um, asking about Elementor, like, how do you do this? And they were pointing at a site uh, and it was a uh, agency knocked up this custom site for uh, uh, like a video production or vi- uh, photography like site high end. And it's one of those sites that you would, you would, think that an agent it would be an agency site like a big time agency or it'd be a site that you'd see on um css side of the day or something like that because it's like custom scrolling like if you do all this like fancy stuff you'd scroll and like elements you know do like this you know fancy thing and there's a video going in the background and there's all kinds of like stuff fading in and out, but it was like more fancy than what I'm describing. Sounds like an epileptic fit waiting to happen. (laughs) Yeah, I get it. But you know what? But like in the big time agencies, in the large agencies, or the people who are like worship at the, um, the altar of design, these are the types of things that they look at for inspiration. Like it's, those are the things that explains a lot, doesn't it? It really, really does. But, but 
I was just thinking in my head, like there's no effing way that people could do this with elementary out of the box, but that's what, you know, that's kind of the expectation. Those are things that you have to, you have to know CSS and you have to know uh, JavaScript and, and things like this to make this work. Um, so that's what I'm saying. You know, a lot of people say like, you just use a page builder to like build sites and that'll work if you're just doing small business sites and that'll, that'll work up to a certain point, but you're never going to get those 30,000, 50,000, hundred thousand dollar sites. Um, if, if you're just using, uh, page builders and, and the expectation is that you're going to like knock up something like that. So. Yeah, it's true. There's, there's all skills. What do you reckon, Sally? Well, I mean, I think where people are losing business to folks who decide to do it themselves is almost always on the lower end. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, there is work in that area, and that is where a lot of people start out. You know, somebody you know asks you to build a website and pays you a few bucks for it. And, um, and you know, and, and that can be harder to compete on. Uh, on the other hand, um, you know, I was just, uh, I'm in a, a Slack group for uh, PR professionals, and one of them was talking about how, you know, recently someone had had come back to them after, you know, they they pitched a, a plan to these people. Uh, the people had attempted to take the plan and implement it themselves. And now they were kind of crawling back because they couldn't make it work because yes, you actually need to be a professional and know stuff to, to do this. So sometimes uh, having people do it themselves is actually the best marketing for you. Uh, it just takes a little longer. Um, and that is going to happen. And yes, you know, we do need to be trying to keep up with new skills. And there's a lot of discussion about, so are you, you know, doing, using Gutenberg with your clients and, you know, what's going on there and how much do we need to know? And when, you know, when do we need to know it? <clears throat> there's a lot of stuff to keep up with. Uh, and that's not easy. But, you know, if we wanted a field where things didn't change, we shouldn't have gone into tech. Yep, that's well put. Well, I, I, I think, you know, what is been a kind of wandering discussion for on this article but the point i was trying to make is that i think there's certain areas that are under stress but on the other hand there's other areas which are opening and it's just that you've got to kind of keep your eye on the ball and figure out the areas that are growing and if you're in an area that's compressing you you really got to have an exit strategy and move on to the next and as you said sadly that's part of technology isn't it right and i think we all reach a point where it's just like no i'm too tired i can't learn one more thing and you know hopefully at that point you're in a position to to retire or do something else without too much um you know too much difficulty um but yeah i mean i think that's probably why uh, and John is noticing so many uh, people who want to, you know, move into uh, SEO as they're concerned that, you know, the stuff they're already doing is, is there's less demand for it. It's less valuable. They're, you know, it's not going to, uh, it's not going to work out for them. And, you know, I think that's fine as long as they understand that they're not going to be able to like just do SEO without having to, you know, spend a lot of time and effort on really learning how it it works. And, uh, you know, if, if SEO is what you pick to, to learn that way, fine. But, you know, it's not necessarily going to be less work than learning React or learning, you know, something 
else you you need to know to do a, you know a different type of, of technical work. I agree. On, on or to go the, in coaching. <laughs> right. Uh, um, on to the next final story. Twitter bans political ads. Says political speech should be earned, not bought. <laughs> I think you suggested this one, Sally. What did you think of this one? I, yeah, I found it. Uh, I forget where, but you know, it was. I, I think it was Media Post. Um, they still email me once in a while with with stories, and I'm sort of like, this is a really interesting move. It it is one of the first things that Twitter has done to really distinguish itself in quite a while, uh, and. Uh, you know, I don't know how well it will work. And of course, you know, we do know that the people with political agendas will go, you know, spend money on either having someone create bots or just paying people to post stuff. It's it's not as if we're going to not have any political material on Twitter all of a sudden. But I think as a response to Facebook basically saying, you can put whatever you want in your political ad and we don't care, uh, it it is an interesting move. Oh, the cynical side of me says, that, yeah, on the surface it seems great, but the cynical side of me says that, yeah, they do that because basically Twitter ads haven't been proven to be that effective. But uh, I'm just talking out the backside of my backside there because I, I haven't done the research, but, you know, compared to the variation of Facebook. So um, I think it, the adverts might work for certain fields. But um, and also um, basically, Twitter they don't use they don't put political adverts on Twitter. What they do is they get vault leaders or they get groups of Twitter accounts, and they they bad actors spread misinformation through the natural feed, don't they? That's they don't they don't exactly do right. It. Well, I mean, you know, p- people were doing that already. They'll probably just do just keep, do more keep, of it. Keep doing but it. I think that, but I think the point is that um, Twitter is not going to make money off of people doing that. That's true. That's true. And, and as a you know, as as an ethical stance, it has some value. As a you know, as a serious deterrent to uh, false information in political ads. No, I'm I'm not sure there is a, a force in the universe that will stop that. And compared to what uh, Mr. Facebook, um, his pronunciations in front of a uh, Mark of, Facebook, <laughs> Mark Facebook, his uh, his performance in front of Congress, which was um, how shall we put it, not that inspiring, was it? What do you reckon, Johnny? Wasn't that inspiring, was it? No, you know, and and Cheryl, I, I think it inspired a great deal of disgust. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the whole thing to you and, and like them saying, well, you know, like we're going to just run whatever we want and it doesn't matter if it's misinformation. Basically, they want it to stay. It, Facebook wants it to stay chaotic and they do not want government regulation. So mm-hmm. for them, as long as whoever gets in puts no regulation on them, they're all for it because they will continue to make money. And they're talking about like, the, you know, 1% is not much. It's $400 million. So it is a lot. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just honestly. Yeah. You know, a billion here, a billion there. Pretty soon you know, you're talking they, about they real need money. To be regulated. Remember this. Remember Facebook started as Harvard hot or not. That's what it was. It's an amazing so, story. Um, That's something from such gross foundations can yeah. grow into. I such. think it maybe says something about the nature of humanity. <laughs> 
I mean, well, back to, to Twitter and Jack Dorsey, too. I'm not convinced. I, I believe that this is just a PR move to counter yeah, Facebook. I agree with I you. I don't believe that they really mean to clean up like any better than Facebook does because the fact of the matter is, is like um, Nazism, white supremacy and stuff like that is they filter it out in countries where it must be. Uh, regulated because of the laws, like in Germany and yes, France, they, go, they yes. already filter it out, but they do not do it in the U.S. And they will continue to not do it in the U.S. So banning political speech is like one thing, but until they, you know, and they're not going to ban the whole. Uh, and it's not that hard, is it? Yeah. All you need, all you need, is a rule saying you can say they, what they you have like. Twelve-hour shifts in St. Petersburg of people, like you know, amplifying. The same things, you yeah, know. But what I'm saying, uh, it's not yeah. hard to have the rule. You can say what you like, but when you physically threaten individuals with physical violence or encourage violence to groups yeah. through sex Well, oh, there's one very prominent account that does that. When you do that, you're out. You know, you're, you, you will <laughs> they lose They haven't done that account, so this, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's what I mean. Uh, um, there's one big account that uh, um, somebody we know that encourages um, extremism and violence, but they don't cut his account out. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, but, so, yeah, I'm really skeptical about this. I think it's just PR. And it's quite clear, you know, it should be really very, very clear. They need... They need some high-profile individuals on the left and right, um, but only they, they need. Um, I think some of the Twitters. Um, I forgot the name of the guy. It's a very big podcast. It has millions of people. Um, he he was a presenter in pro wrestling or something. You know the podcast, don't you, John? Uh, uh, is it Rogan? Joe Rogan. Rogan. He had some of the Twitter chief executives. Some of the high people in twitter well, a lot of people say joe rogan's like a portal to yeah you know, but, but, but what was too. yeah true um but rogan they, their defense of their actual mechanisms about how they select which sites to ban which twitter accounts to ban it, it was such a jumble of intellectual garbage that it was well that, but that's what i'm saying at the end of it all they don't at the end of it all the people in Silicon Valley, like Jack Dorsey, Mark Zuckerberg, Sheryl Sandberg, Biz Stone, they do not care if democracy or the world itself burns to the ground as long as they keep making money. Mm. That's about it. Right, on to something more cheerful. Our, um, to wrap <laughs> up the show, our recommendations. And I've actually got two. It's one I'd put down, but I'm going to add the other. First one is... Uh, um, I use Zoom, folks, for most of my podcasting and my videos. And um, a guy's produced, I'm going to try it out, um, produced a, a plugin called Video Conferencing with Zoom AP. And what it enables you to do is embed the live um, Zoom feed onto a web page. So instead of just either sh having it show up on either Facebook or YouTube, you can actually um, push it. And, and panelists, if you have got your recommendations, can you put them into chat? It does really help me. Um, but so you can push, push uh, a live Zoom um, webinar onto a web page of on your WordPress website. 
That's the, the note on the plugin says you can't do it with the webinar, only with the regular Zoom. And I, I, I haven't tried. Oh, it, I did. So. I did read that. I should read the note. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, that's so a thought, scam. Well, they that's... need to. Uh, yes. Yeah, so, so it's sort of like, ah, well, I think they they might need to, you know, work on that a little bit. I don't know. Maybe that one is is meant to be left for the pro version or something. Oh, I have to get my developers to do me um, a modification to it then. But I think that's probably because they are planning it. That's probably in the pro version anyway, isn't it? They are planning a pro version, right? They? And that would make a you know that would make sense to be something that would go in the uh, that would go in the pro version. Well, I see how long it takes them to do the pro version. You know, I get my own developers because they're um I need I need that I need it I need it. My other recommendation is a TV series, and I don't watch much American television, and it's Mister Robot. Um, series four. I, uh, I've watched the other series, uh, um, and it, it's it's. It kind of gels with me around hacking the kind of people I knew in London. Uh, um, it kind of gels with me, Mr. Robot. It's a rather dark show. Um, John's nodding his head. Do you watch it then, John? No, I don't. I pretty much only watch uh, what I can get online, so I don't really watch that much TV. I'm just kind of busy. But I don't watch it. I, I just got, I get the feed and I watch it on my... Um, tablet uh, but it's a it's a great series about hacking and the lead figure is uh to say he's conflicted would be uh, a slight understatement so it's interesting and it's it's on, it's on its final series series four unlike some american series that are old that seem to have a lifespan longer than most people <laughs> this is the man who comes from the country that made like one of the longest running series ever to wit doctor who um, oh, that's nothing. The Archers, I think the Archers is older than me. That's saying something. Well, Doctor Who started in like the 40s or something? Nothing, or the early 50s. It's very, it's, it's, it's very old. It's, it's even older than Star Trek. I looked it up once. <laughs> but we are talking about Doctor Who, aren't we? For God's sake. <laughs> right. uh, um, have you got, um, so John, have you got something you want to share with us? Yeah, I do. And this is the YouTube channel I just uh, discovered very recently. This is Andy uh, Batucci. Uh, and he makes uh, animated memes that skewer the digital marketing uh, culture. They're, it's biting satire. Uh, basically, you'd, I, I think most people would really dig it. But basically, it's just... Just mocking satire of of. Um, I'm, I'm looking at it now. Yes, why do entrepreneurs chase shiny objects? The death of a man. Yeah, it, it's funny stuff. Typical yeah. agency owners be like. <laughs> Typical agency owners. I mean, watch that video. That's stuff I see like every week in Facebook groups. It's it's exactly like that. Watch it, and and I see that every week. I'm going to drop that one in the, uh, you know, the entertaining stuff. Package for the, uh, for the PR uh, slack. What yeah. about you, Sally? Have you got something you want to share with the listeners and viewers? Yes, less, less humorous, um, but useful. Uh, there is a, an accessible color generator. Um, and I came across this while, uh, uh, you know, I, I have a client that runs uh, basically various senior services. So you'd think like accessibility might be important. And they just had a, a bunch of new branding done and color palette. And I mentioned this when I talked to the designers at first and still like most of their colors 
do not pass accessibility checks as backgrounds for buttons with white text. And visually, almost everybody prefers to have like white text on your color buttons than black text on your color buttons unless the button is really, really light. Um, and this, what this one does is it will give you a variation on your color that passes the test uh, for large text and for small text. And in the case of this particular color palette, there were three or four of them where there was almost no visible difference between the color that passed and the, and the color that didn't. And I, so I said to my client, I said, can I just use the ones that pass on the website? You know, it's, it's, nobody is going to notice the difference between that and, you know, the print stuff. They've got a bunch of signage. And, so, and, of course, and print just works differently uh, because of, of, you know, luminosity issues and the fact that your screen glows at you. And so colors that are, are fine for print and certainly fine for something as large as a sign uh, are, are not necessarily fine on your website. So I, I found this one really useful. That's fantastic. Thanks for that. We're going to wrap up the show. It's been a small panel. The old timers, as we say. Uh, um, but I think we've done a good job. We just we breezed through all the stories. We'll be back next week, folks, hopefully with a larger panel. The truancy, um, the truants will be coming back from there. Well, yes, we'll, we'll get all the, uh, you know, we'll, we'll get all the gossip from... Camp the, US. Yes, yes. So we'll see you next week, beloved listeners and viewers. See you soon. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to WP Tonic, the podcast that gives you a spoonful of WordPress medicine twice a week.